Hi, my name's Andy Chamberlain, and this is the Creative Writer's Tool Belt, the podcast that gives you practical, accessible advice that you can apply straight away to your own writing. You can find out more at my website, andrewjchamberlain.com, where you'll also find out about the Creative Writer's Tool Belt handbook, which condenses all of the very best advice and insight from my expert guests and me in one place. I hope you enjoy this episode of the Creative Writer's Tool Belt podcast, and it's helpful to you on your writing journey. And welcome to episode 151 of the Creative Writer's Tool Belt. The conversation I had with my guest for this episode can be summed up in one word, encouragement. I always enjoy talking to people who can provide practical encouragement to me as a writer and to you, the listeners to my podcast. And my guest this week certainly does that. Her name is Cynthia Morris, and she is a certified coach, published author, and artist and founder of the coaching company, Original Impulse. And for over 20 years, Cynthia has been working with artists, writers, and entrepreneurs to get them out of their own way so they can finish the projects that matter to them. And this year she is publishing her eighth book titled The Busy Woman's Guide to Writing a World-Changing Book. Now we'll get to that conversation in a moment, but first, A reminder to you that if you are listening to this episode just after it's released, then Christmas 2019 is coming. Yes, I know you're well aware of this fact, but if you are looking for ideas for presents still, for yourself to suggest to other people, or for something you can get for the writers and readers in your life, can I recommend two of my books which are available now. First, we have the Creative Writer's Toolbelt Handbook which is the book that accompanies this podcast and condenses all of the best advice and insight I received from the first 100 episodes from writers, editors and agents. It takes all of that best advice and brings it into one volume, which covers the fundamentals of writing dimensions like plot, character, setting, theme and voice. It's a great reference work to accompany the podcast. Then there's also my novel, The Centauri Survivors, a tale of exploration and betrayal on the first habitable exoplanet to be discovered by humanity. And to give you a flavour of what that book is about, I want to read a little excerpt from the back jacket of the book for you. When a habitable planet is discovered just four light years from Earth, governments and private corporations rush to build a ship to take the first humans there. But only a few colonists wake up from cryosleep after the 60-year journey, and as their ship comes into orbit around the new planet, they find themselves surrounded by death. As the survivors scramble to make sense of what has happened, they find their own lives under threat, and, pursued by their enemies, they escape to the surface of the new planet. Caught between their human adversaries and whatever the planet throws at them, these survivors fight to stay alive as circumstances drive them towards a final, deadly confrontation. Now both of these books would make great presents and you can find them both on Amazon now. But in addition to that, if you are listening to this episode around the time it is released, which is the 29th of November 2019, and you're looking for something to read on your Kindle just for yourself, maybe in December, you are in luck because just for the next couple of days, The Centauri Survivors is going to be free to download. That's right, it's just free today, the 29th of November 2019, tomorrow, Saturday the 30th, and Sunday the 1st of December. So if you've been curious about this book that I've been going on about, and you'll have heard me talking about it a couple of times at least, if you listen to a number of episodes of the podcast, and you want to find out a little bit more, and you haven't got round to checking it out yet, now is the time to do it. 
go to Amazon or your Kindle, download a copy for free in the next couple of days. And if you like it, please do give it a review. And if you really like it, get a copy for a family member or friend for Christmas. Thank you. And now back to my conversation with Cynthia. So, dear writer, do you need some encouragement? We all need some encouragement from time to time with our work. And it's especially true with writers. And this is where you're going to get it. I hope you enjoy this conversation. I certainly had a great time talking to Cynthia. Here it is. Okay, so Cynthia, welcome to the Creative Writers Tool Belt podcast. It's great to have you on. Oh, thank you for having me. So I want to start um, by asking you a little bit about your personal history, your background. Could you could you tell us a little bit about, about your upbringing, um, maybe how you got interested in, in writing and some of the other things that, some of the other kind of interests and passions that you've had that have developed over the years? Yeah, sure. Well, I grew up in Ohio. I was the third of, of three children and my parents both worked. And I really credit that to having a lot to do with shaping who and how I am and was. Mm. I spent almost all of my time after school reading. I was obsessed with books and getting them from the library and keeping track of them in a ledger. And, wow. Yeah. And yeah, I know. I used to <laughs> cool. do that. I go, I'm still at the library at least once a week taking out stacks of books, but now the books are bigger. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I can't get through them. But um, I think that really cultivated a, a deep love of books and the imagination and just how you can transport yourself just by opening up a book. And I don't know if that's why, but from a very early age, I always wanted to be a writer. And sure, I didn't sure. really know what that meant or what that looked like. I kind of wanted to live like Danielle Steele, like publish a lot of books, be rich and glamorous and have a glamorous life in New York. But that <laughs> not, didn't quite happen that way. I have published a bunch of books, but I, I'm living my very grounded down to earth life in Denver. But so then, you know, fast forward growing up and going to school and university at, at university, I studied magazine journalism and okay. French. Right. And um, ended up with a French degree. But the journalism and all of the writing that I took really helped scoot me along on my dream of being a writer. And when I graduated from college, I just kind of started writing and taking classes and learning. And, and then in 99, I heard about this thing called coaching. And yeah. I that sounds great. That will allow me to. So my idea was I would have a full time pay from being a coach with part time work because it was my own business. And that would afford me the time to write. But well, <laughs> anybody <laughs> somehow I thought there might be a but coming here that it wasn't but, as simple uh, as that. Right. That formula is not quite accurate. Okay. So, you know, running your own business is full-time work and sometimes part-time pay. And <laughs> you just, you know, especially as you're learning and yes. um, starting out. But the cool thing that happened, Andy, was that the coaching gave me something to write about. And I started, I was focusing on helping writers and creative types. And so I started writing about the creative process as I was observing and learning from my own work and from my clients. So sure. And eventually, you know, the other thing about being a coach for writers and creatives, this happened right away with my business, was I decided that I had to do the kind of things that I asked my clients to do. That if I was 
going to coach somebody to do writing or something that they wanted to do, I would have to do my own creative work. So that has been a real help for me over the years to get over my own issues and get the work done because I want to stand in integrity and do what I ask others to do. Okay. Now, it seems to me that a lot of what you do now, and we can explore a bit about what you do now, is around being a friend and an ally and a companion to writers, a really kind of standing with writers as they overcome perhaps technical hurdles and inner fears and all the rest of it. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that work? What is it that you do now in that way for, for people and with the people around you? Yeah, sure. Well, my the coaching skills that I learned really gave me a toolkit for how to have conversations with people that are focused on an agenda and help them move forward. And the, the thing that that's really important to me in my work with writers or anybody is helping them find their way. So as you know, there are some general principles about writing that we all encounter. Sure. You have to write regularly. You have to write a certain you know amount. But within that, there is a lot of freedom. And what I like doing is helping people figure out when they write best, how they write best, what's important to them about writing, what their dreams are for their writing. So asking all those very, very you know, coachy dream questions and then also the practical questions. Mm. But so, then, of course, all that sounds well and good. But then what about um, the fears and the insecurities mm, mm, and yeah. all of that? So what I've seen and come to, the way I think of the creative process is that it's the opportunity for all of our issues to rise to the surface so we can <laughs> welcome them on the stage and work with them. I mean, it's kind of true. Like, yeah. So – so rather than just like try to bully the, that part of us down or beat the inner critic down or go into despair mode and think that something's wrong with us, I like to help people face those things and work with them. And I mean, they show up for a reason, not just so they can stay in place. Maybe here's the opportunity to do something different. So I see the path of making things and writing as a really strong personal growth path. Like you're going to have these issues, you might as well make something and work your way through the issues through through the writing or through whatever you're making. Hmm. Okay. So I mean I think anybody who's done any any writing in any way seriously knows that it's a it's not just about tapping words onto a page, is it? There there's there is there can be fear, there can be self doubt. Um and writing is such a personal thing, isn't it? So how as writers do we face those fears and self doubts? It sounds as if you're saying we, we, we shouldn't just squash them or suppress them, but there's almost a kind of a facing of these things and a processing of in it involved. Yeah. And so um, I was just looking at this for myself this morning. And then when I was talking to a, a client this morning about, mm. about the fear, the process of coaching is a, a process of asking good questions and inquiries. So if someone's like, oh, I don't know, I'm just really hesitant about getting to the writing or I keep avoiding it. it it's the only thing that ever really is blocking us is fear. So it we put a bunch of other excuses on it, like I'm too busy or mm. I don't have time. Mm. I don't know what I'm doing, but... Mm. Truly, it's underneath that all of that is some fear. So what are you afraid of? Like, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. Okay, or I am i don't really know if I'm good enough. Or who am I to... It's a lot about taking space, claiming space, claiming a voice, claiming that you have the right to say something. That's a big issue for, for most people. Mm. So mm. 
you know, maybe something will come up like, oh, the last time we published something, my sister-in-law said something really mean. And then we have to work with that about how do you find a sense of safety in what you're doing? How can you feel safe and strong going forward, no matter what anybody says? So it's a lot of conversation about mm. like that. They've never talked to anybody about this. It's just been kind of living in them in a, a sort of an unconscious way. So these things come up, we bring them to the surface. You know, it sounds a little bit like therapy as I talk yeah, about it, Yeah. but I don't think it is. Therapy is mostly like a diagnosis-based system. It also kind of assumes that something is wrong with you that we need to fix. And coaching is not that. I'm not assuming anything's wrong. I'm more just interested in the, um, you know, Andy, you said that writing is very personal. So mm. all of these issues are threaded in there. The things that we hope for, the things that we fear, the mm. themes of our lives are mm. going to be in writing. So there's no way to avoid you <laughs> in your writing. <laughs> all of all of you, you know, the fears, the insecurities, the past yeah. hurts. It sounds as if part of what you do is is to encourage a greater degree of self-awareness and self self-knowledge. Right. It with absolutely. in your in writers and with your clients is that is that true? Do you want to kind of expand on that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. And because there's so much about there's a lot of advice about how to write. Yeah, and people read that advice and then they'll try to do it or they won't do it or they realize like I can't write every day. Something's wrong with me. I must not be dedicated enough. And it's like no, like who says you have to write every day? Like you could write every other day. You could write three yeah. days. You know. Yeah. So. Um, Helping them find their authentic way with how they do it is important. It's got to fit into your life. It's got to fit into your focus ability. And then in terms of the content, you know, the, the content has to be true to your values, true to the things you care about, um, true to the things that you're trying to figure out or it's just going to be boring. So, and voice, I think is finally like the last place, the last major piece of authenticity that's really required. If, if it doesn't sound like you, if it's not your, your authentic voice, it's just going to get lost in the, mm. in the shuffle. So that's interesting. I, I maybe want to explore that a little bit, the, the content and the voice thing. Um, let's say though, I was a writer of fiction and I just enjoy writing stories. How does, how does being true to my own values in my content, and I believe what you're saying, but how does that work when you're writing fiction? Yeah, it's the same. I think it's the same for anything. So there's um there's an exercise that I invented that I really love. And you've heard of values and we're talking about values. And that's mm -hmm. one of the first things that coaches do with their clients is sort of excavate a, a list of values. And when you're living your values, the things you do, the relationships you have, everything feels like in alignment because you're living according to your values, my values of connection. Of, um, so just as a quick example, a value that I have is conversation and rich conversation, mm. connection. Mm. So when I look at my work, my job as a coach, that's totally it. All I... You know, there's a lot of things I do with my work, but when I'm with my clients, we're having, we're dropping in immediately to meaningful conversations sure. that are actually going to make a difference. Yes. I would so much rather do that than chat or have not, not meaningful conversations. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I understand. Yeah. That's, that's one example of how that value is lived out. So in okay. terms of writing, you could take one of your books, if you just took one of your novels or even several of your novels and just... Jot down a list of themes. What are the themes 
that are in my book. So it might be alienation, it might be looking for a sense of belonging, it might be um, the theme of man versus nature. Mm. And then alongside your themes, you can write uh, values that you have that match those um, themes. So let's say one of the themes in your novel is community. And then you could be like, well, what value am I honoring when I'm in community or what's important about community for me? And you might say, you know, I really need to feel connected. I love to feel connected with people that I have something in common with. So your value of connection is expressed in the theme of community that you see in your novel. So Ooh. it's kind of the lake. Does that, does that make sense? It, it does. And I suppose perhaps the converse of it would be if I was trying to force myself to write something which wasn't aligned to my values, it would just feel wrong to do it. Or it would, I'd be, there would be something inauthentic about the work that I produce. Right. It just doesn't, it's not meaningful to yeah. you. Yeah. Yeah. And back to what I said a minute ago about the things we write, the, the, the questions we're trying to answer, the things that we're continually exploring in our lives, they're just in, inherent in our writing. You, you know, the, the fun thing about writing, I did this with my novel, I just wrote the story. But then later, I went back and did this process of looking at what are the themes and what are my values. And it's all in there. Just like, yeah, yeah, like the visible ink revealed, like, whoa, there I am. (laughs) I didn't even plan this. So it's an interesting, um, I mean, as you're speaking, I'm just thinking about my recent novel and just just having a brief think, what, what values do I put in that? And are there values in it that I know I've put in there and others, which I wouldn't, I haven't, I haven't consciously done it, but they're there anyway, almost as a kind of subconscious imprint of what's important to me. Mm-hmm. So, um, in your in uh, your book, uh, you use a phrase: "The work we do works us," um, which I thought was a really intriguing, <laughs> intriguing phrase. The work we do works us. I wondered if you could kind of expand on that a little bit and explain what you mean by that. Yeah. So I've touched about it. I touched on that a little bit in what I've said so far about yeah. writing as a personal growth path, and you know. In terms of speaking of values and themes, as a coach, that's that's really appealing to me, the thought of a personal growth path. I've yeah. been, just the nature of me, I've been interested in personal growth and development and potential forever. So it's no surprise to me that um, that's how I frame <laughs> everything. So, so the work we make makes us, when I just think about, just as an example, my novel, Chasing Sylvia Beach, Mm. I um, it took 12 years to write that and um, I, I was doing a lot of other things in those 12 years as well but sure. I was also just learning how to write a novel and getting through stuff and draft after draft and rejections and um, <laughs> so many rejections and so much learning so uh, aside from just the natural change that's going to happen over 12 years I am not the same person as that I am as a result of that novel if I had, for, for instance, stopped writing and just said, this is not going to work, I'm not going to write it, I would be a different person than I am today. So today, having finished that book, having persisted past all of the, the roadblocks and mm, the mm. securities, I have so much more, um, I would just say, personal power that comes from recognizing how persistent I am. I can look and just say, wow, Cynthia, you 
really stuck with it. You were really committed. And another part of me would say, I had no idea I could stay with something for that long. I would never, ever have thought of myself as somebody who could do that. And now I am. And now what else can I do? So Mm. what is possible? You can also look at your book or a book or any project afterward and, and ask what qualities and skills did I bring to bear on this? And you might be like, wow, I was patient. <laughs> yeah, that's a great that's a great quality to develop, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, I'm so need to develop that. But yeah, what, you know, so you can kind of do an assessment like, wow, now I'm I'm at least 10% more patient than I was before that or well, like all of those people who gave me feedback, the agents and editors and friends and readers, I'm so much more humble now. I really know how to receive feedback. Yes. I know how yeah. to say thank you and that hurts and can I have some more? <laughs> <laughs> uh, now, so, I, one, of the, one of the other things I was going to ask you about, um, were, and I think this is important to you, is mindset. Um, and you do say things about mindset and having the right mindset i wondered if you could just explain to us a little bit about what you think mindset means and why as authors do we need to have a a mindset well that's a great question uh, just to define what mindset means mm. uh, you know i don't probably really good definitions out there i don't know how mine goes um uh, one thing is like your point of view or the way you look at things like mm. um So just as an example, I'm talking to a client, we're talking about a task she's got to do, I don't even remember what, and she's like, this is going to be really hard, it's going to take a long time. And I'm like, well, maybe, (laughs) that's one way to look at it. So one of the, um, I'll talk a little bit more about mindset, but just one of the exercises that I do with clients that I was trained to do is when somebody's kind of stuck in something, you ask them to identify their perspective. Like, I think this is going to be really hard. It's like, okay, that's one perspective. And then you go through a process of brainstorming five or six more, five Mm. or six different perspectives. Mm. You kind of go back through them all. And it's like, okay, so this is going to be hard, or this might be fun, or I'm Mm. going to learn something. And then you kind of give them the choice. Like, okay, so which perspective do you want to adopt and operate from you're like well i don't really want to go from the this is going to be hard let's go from the this is going to be fun um it's like great so what would make it fun and how can you make this fun so that's an example of we are going around all the time with a mindset um you know just a general perspective about life and then specific perspectives about um how things are what it's going to be like yeah so it's often invisible visible being able to pull that out and work with it can be really useful yes yeah the other thing too andy what in my experience it's the game of life and the game of making anything or doing anything is really all in the head it's all in the mind so how you think of it how you um perceive it like what you imagine is going to be like what you expect it to be like one of the things i work with people a ton is expectations you probably see this too all the time where people will be like oh i didn't get as much done as i wanted or that took away longer than i thought yeah yeah sure yeah so so where so we'll like stop the bus like okay so where did that idea come from that you thought it was only going to take an hour or what can you do to 
shift your expectations so they actually match reality because getting to the end of the week constantly disappointed and drained and feeling like you're not making it is not going to add up to any kind of pleasure of doing the work or, you know, actually getting the work done. So a lot of the work I do is helping people lower their expectation. Mm. And then mm. like, Oh, I got way more than I thought done. And then you're like <laughs> victorious. Right. So I know that's like a little, it's like a mental hack, but other thought, other places mindset can appear is thinking about you know, what's your vision for your book? What do you, what's your idea of success? What do you want that to be? And then how do you frame your daily actions around that? Um, Mm. So, so a, a question I want to ask you, which tracks back to something we said earlier, but I think it's probably a theme through all of this stuff. Um, because so let's say so I'm a writer, and because I am because I'm so afraid, and because I'm always a bit fearful as a writer, because I'm fearful about can I get it done? How will it be? You know, how well will it be received? Will anyone take any notice? Will anybody buy it? All those things. Um, how should I feel about myself to make myself resilient and cheerful and cope better with that fear that seems to be always present? That's a great question because, you know, the way you say it, it makes me, you know, the, the way to frame it is that you're in an ongoing relationship with it hmm. and it's really never going to go away. This part of us that is there to protect us, make us feel yeah. safe and yeah. look like a total imbecile in the world's eyes so um it doesn't seem to go away i presume i presume the truth is it doesn't go away actually for anybody there's an element of uncertainty let's say no and i don't think it should necessarily you know because part of it seems to be associated with like where it's a signal you're taking a risk Mm. and so most of us i don't know most of the people i i know we kind of are risk takers we like a challenge so that's generally not if you don't like taking risks at all, you're probably not a writer or a creative person. Mm. You're probably like, you know what? I just want the status quo. That's fine with me. So um, the fear is a signal that you're taking a risk. And then I think everybody needs to just know what are what are the things that help me feel safe as I'm taking this risk? And, um, you know, it could be some simple things like getting to know the fears, writing them down on paper. It, again, it sounds really simplistic, but if we just even getting the things out of our head and onto paper and mm. seeing them in black and white can help to identify them, to come up with solutions for them in the writing. So like, well, I know I'm really afraid about what my mom's going to think. It's like, well, for now, I won't show my mom. Um, so a lot of the time it is creating that sort of um, barricade a privacy mm. against the world for now like just for now just write it for you just for now take it as an exercise in writing and do the best you can and write it as well as you can and later you get to decide where it will go who will see it when mm. and how but mm. to just give yourself it's kind of like a privacy fence um to start with and then you know, giving yourself permission to write badly, giving yourself permission to keep it private, um, just writing to see. Like, so it's weird. We have we have to kind of have a hopeful vision for it. Like, I really want to write this book. I think it's going to be great. Mm, I love the idea. Mm. I think people love it. And then at the same time, we have to maybe on the other end of the spectrum be completely unattached. Like, I have no idea where this is going. I don't know if this is going to be any good, but 
All I know is I'm going to try and see. Hmm. And is there advice that you can give us that is related to purely how we see ourselves that help us dif- that help us with this? So I think the things you've mentioned are really good, actually, because they're really kind of practical, wise things. And sometimes writing, you know, doing a simple thing like writing stuff down is great. It, why not? It, just because it's simple, it, it doesn't mean it's not effective. But what about how, let's say I, you know, I am the slightly nervous writer. I can put some strategies in place, but how should I feel about myself and in a way that will help me with this mindset and with this, this battle and, and, and with the whole project that I'm doing? I think someone in that situation, you should feel really proud of yourself. Uh, you know, for honoring the impulse to write. Mm. I think that, you know, if you have the impulse to write, you just have to follow it. Like you have no idea where it's going to go. If you're Mm. going to be any good, if anyone will ever care, that is so far out, right. From actually just doing the writing. So it's like, just do the writing and see how it goes. And so one of the exercises I have my, my students do is at the end of a writing session, to just take a second and jot down three words that describe how that was just three words. Mm, And mm. when you do this reflection process, what it can do is show you after you write, you'll be like, Ooh, I feel energized. I feel I'm excited. That was, that was fun. I got it out. um, Yeah. As opposed to the feeling you have beforehand, which is just like deep cellular dread and, I would much rather be doing anything than this. Like, so to be able to kind of have a witness to your process and notice, oh, before I wanted to write, I had all these ideas and thoughts and fears about what it would be like. And then when I actually had a writing session, I feel really good. I feel empowered. I feel energized. I still mm. don't really know where the story's going, but I'm in it and I'm I'm having fun. Um, so building in an awareness, especially afterward. If you can kind of gently hold your hand and be um, kind of gently firm like you would with a child who doesn't want to go to school, like, I know you don't want to go, but just <laughs> come on, sit down. We'll just go, we're just going to write for five minutes. We'll just start with 10 minutes and, and just be kind. And, and then um, some people like to operate on rewards. Some people want to like, you know, mark it off on the calendar that they wrote yeah, or yeah. give self a reward. Often people, the reward is the writing itself. So I would say, um, be kind to yourself. Know that pretty much every single other writer in the world has exactly the same feelings pretty much. And so it doesn't mean that anything's wrong with you. It's just, this is part of the process. Right. And whatever tricks or tips or hacks, whatever it takes to just Bring your focus to the writing. Whatever works for you is what's going to work. Okay. Now, when it comes to thinking about the reasons why any of us might write in the first place, do you think we need to distinguish between perhaps the kind of head reasons, the rational, logical, objective reasons, and the heart reasons, the kind of deeper subjective, desire-based stuff? And and is one more important than the other at all? That's a really good question. I'm curious about that. Do you... Can I ask you a question? Yeah, yeah, please do. Yeah, do you so do you notice a conflict in yourself or do you notice that you've got like these two distinct parts that have their own agenda? I th- I think I do in the sense that I suppose if I gave you an example to try to illustrate what I mean by that. I could let's say I was writing a series and I I expect the series to have four books and I've written two and I need to kind of get on to the third, but 
and so my head would say you've done two books it's time to go on to the third you know the people who have read them will be waiting for will want it you know what you're doing get on with it but then there's a bit of me that might say that manuscript that you wrote and put aside you know put in the trunk five years ago is calling out to you and you need to go and finish it so so that's the kind of heart thing somehow is saying you need to go there's something about that when you've got to go and do that one and probably most of the time initially i'll say i'll let the head reasons i'll give them a head start if as it were i'll say no i've got a schedule i've got to work to it third book in four and that's what i'm doing but if the illogical irrational heart reason keeps surfacing i'll try and examine Mm -hmm. why that is and then i'll say okay Forget the forget the logical reasons. I need to do this other thing. So to get uh, to give you a real life example, I've just finished a novel. Uh, it could have a sequel. I've got some ideas about what that could be, but there's another thing that I wrote like 15 years ago that's just waiting to be completed, and it's just surfaced again in my head. And after a bit of struggling, I'm thinking, no, I just need to go and finish that. And I'm not saying everybody should do that. I'm just saying that that that, that seems to be sometimes I feel it. I feel, just for me maybe for others. I feel that that is how it can be. Well, it's great to have an example like that because it brings it really into um, clarity. Mm. What I heard listening to you is that what I think everybody's going to have to go through in this situation is you kind of have to go through the process of it. Mm. And the answer comes to you um, and it has to kind of sit with you well, like, okay, this, this is the right way to go, or this feels like the, the next path to, to take. Mm, right? mm. It also, you know, your decision-making process, it also, you have to just take into account so many factors, like why are you writing? What's important? Yeah. Yeah. Part of a business is, is your writing part of a business. And if so, then and it's got its own considerations. They've got, you know, the bottom line and expenses <laughs> and yeah. projections. So that is those big factors, like am I monetizing this or not? And then how does this fit into what I'm trying to do in the world with my business? If it's not about a business, I, I think um, I, I, I just I feel like you you need such deep inner motivation to write a book outer motivation outer motivation only goes so far like yeah. you've got to really yeah. care about it and mm. feel it and be in relationship with it and want to do mm. it so i think you can only go so far just like on on what seems rational or logical or strategic mm. Mm. and maybe that's a good way of thinking about this so i've i've said sort of like head reasons versus heart reasons but inner reasons versus outer reasons i suppose is another way of take of having that perspective on this thing and well the thing about that's been the 15 year old book and it keeps coming back as we're talking about this creative process and the writing process we have to acknowledge that there's just a lot of very mysterious things that happen (laughs) that we don't know like why i don't know like timing or i don't know why now this idea is here but it just feels right so Mm. Mm. I think I think I, if it were me, I'd be getting that one out and sitting with it, have a date with it, check it out, look and see mm. what I wrote, mm. where the vitality is, get a sense of the scope of the work, um, and where I'm at, and what do I want to do, and do I have space for that? The thing that I didn't really hear in you, but that I would be looking for if somebody suddenly wants to project switch like that is. Are you trying to avoid something with book three? Yeah. And yeah, you're right. So it may be like in my particular case, the the 15 year old book is actually just some kind of displacement because I don't want to get on with the next thing. 
or I, I've got a block on it, or it's a struggle or, or something. And perhaps this comes back to self-awareness and understanding what the real motives in our heads yeah. are. Yeah. And this goes back to the self-awareness in general. So you you might be like, oh, I've got this great idea. And it feels really energizing. We go back to book, you know, the old book. Yeah. And then go toward it, you start feeling that creeping feeling um, that you feel when you feel out of integrity. And you'd be like, Oh, I'm really just doing this because it sounds fun. And um, <laughs> yeah, don't, like sometimes the things that are further away seem easier or more appealing than the, yeah. the work end. So, yeah. you you know what I would want for you and for everybody is that you know yourself well, and you're like, oh, yeah. there I go again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, personally, okay. I feel like I, I more. I mean, generally, I think self awareness is is a critical thing. I mean, for writers, it's really important for anybody in life. Understanding, trying to understand your own motivations or why you feel something or why you want something is a yeah. really good thing. Um, but I want to pick up on a word that you used in your comments just a moment ago, but you were talking about, like you were talking about going on a date with maybe with a project or having a relationship with a book. And I know you're an advocate for what you describe as a monogamous relationship with a book project. Perhaps you could tell us a little bit about what you mean by that and, and why we need to stay faithful and not kind of stray too much when we're on a book project. That's a great question. And it's a big issue, I think, for a lot of us. Um, well, I think just having a the frame, the perspective that the book is a relationship can be really useful mm. in terms of like, I'm going to meet my book, my book and I have a date. I'm going <laughs> like, you wouldn't stand up a friend. You wouldn't be like, yeah, we made a date, but I just am not going. I don't feel like it. Um, so your friend would be like, what? <laughs> yeah. So treating your book with that kind of respect of like, okay. I show up for it and I've committed to it. Um, and then in terms of being monogamous, generally the people I, I know and work with are very busy people. They're, you know, exec in executive positions, they're running yeah. a business or in a high level position, they don't really have a ton of extra time. No, so no, no. just in terms of being monogamous to the book, like, you know, just focus your attention and energy on that because you just really don't have any extra bandwidth. So here's what I've seen happen. Like you're like, okay, muse, I'm, I'm going to pay attention to you. I'm going to write this book. I'm going to sit down and focus on this. And the minute we do that, almost like we get in a quarter of the way or not even that far. And all of our other ideas show up saying, Hey, what about me? And like, I've got this other idea for yeah. another thing. Yeah. Yes. And again, like the, the more the, the work becomes difficult, the better these other ideas seem. And I think it's just our the creative mind, just like once you sit down and are kind of a still target, then all these other ideas come in. It's like, well, she's taking ideas it's seriously. A, she's writing a book. Let's give her more. It's, <laughs> so, it is, it's just a thing that happens, isn't it? I guess we all get tempted. Yeah. Yeah. yeah well, you're priming the creative engine, you know? Yeah, so, that's true. Yeah. It does seem like as soon as you as soon as you focus on a particular project, it's like all those other temptations come along, don't they? And everything else. You're right when with what you just said that the more tough the project is, the better the other ideas seem. Yeah, and so just as you just so you know, like everything I'm talking about, I still go through all this. Oh, okay, um, well that's reassuring. <laughs> totally, I was working on something, um, and I was like. 
oh, why don't you do this thing next year? And I'm like immediately like building that out and playing with it. I'm like, look at you. And so I'm like, well, I'm going to write an article about this. So I'm like, write an article about it. It's like objects in the distance are so much more compelling than. Um, so, yeah. So I'll thing guess, is like, yeah. I, I have all these same issues, but I think the thing that may make me different than somebody else is that I, I'm aware of them and I catch them and I don't mm. get I don't get way. So I think we all have the same issues. But in terms of being monogamous to writing a book, you know what it takes to write a book. It's a book is a real big project. It's yeah. fiction or nonfiction, just constructing something that is bigger like that. And that holds together like that really takes a certain kind of focus and we, we, we can do it and we can do it over time and we can do it in little bits here and there, but trying to do that and then, Oh, I'm going to write, you know, so for example, like I'm going to keep my blog up while I'm writing my book or I'm going to build my platform while writing my book. And mm. my clients are just, you know, they're busy. They have jobs, they have yeah, children. Yeah. Like, so yep. That's real life, like, isn't it? That's the way it goes. Real life. So something's got to go. And it's like, well, you can either write the book or write the blog, like which, and I'm like, write the book. So don't worry about the blog. Mm. So mm. people, and I am people too, we will always <laughs> like, <laughs> like, oh, I've got to, I'm going to do this other thing too. And my caveat is if you have proven to yourself that you can finish projects and get them over the finish line to your satisfaction or at least to done, then you can work on as many projects as you want. But most of us need to focus to a certain degree to be able to complete yeah. things. Yeah. And I think that's true. I mean, it sounds like a, a, a chunk of what you do is like giving, giving us all the tough love, really, you know, telling you us the know, truths we already know in some ways. Totally. And, and we love that because, well, for, for me, partly what I hope is really helpful to, to listeners or anybody who hears this is like, you're, it's not you, you are not screwed up because you're feeling these things or going through the writer's block or confusion. And it is part of the process. It's kind of like somebody getting married and being like, Oh, we don't really agree on everything. Like I thought, and we have to actually have more conversations. We have to negotiate you wouldn't be like, yeah, see, you're just not really cut out for marriage. You're just not good at that. You'd be like, yeah, that's what marriage is. Like, yeah, welcome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's it. That's so how I, it <laughs> it's what goes. Part of the job. So I hope that helps to remove any kind of feeling of pathology or something's wrong with me because I'm encountering these challenges. It's more like, okay, how do how do I find the ways that work for me to keep going? Mm -hmm. So, so it turns out actually we're okay after all, all of us. We're we're not we're not as crazy or as deficient or whatever as as we thought we were. Um, well, if we are, then we can use it in the writing. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Well, there's 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 some consolation there. Now, one of the things that we briefly touched on earlier was this issue of authenticity, and I wondered if you could tell us a little bit about what role authenticity plays in what we choose to write and how we write it, and what. What are the benefits of being honest in our writing? I think that's a really, that's really the bit, the big question, isn't it? Like mm. authenticity, like, because I think writing is, as you said earlier, so personal. It's so, whether we're writing fiction or nonfiction, it's really coming from something we care about. I think the decisions about what to write and when are also very personal and tied to, um, 
your overall goals. And also Mm. I think too, I think the piece about what others are going to think really plays a part. And I think that's the part that often limits our authenticity or our honesty and think like, what's the the smallest amount I can get away with and still be safe in in the (laughs) eyes of the world, you know? And so the role that honesty plays, the benefits, um, I don't know about you, but the things that I read where the author is being really honest, whether it's a personal memoir or fiction, that honesty always moves me and Mm. um, inspires Mm. me and impresses me and really stands out as a beacon of like, wow, this author really took some risks. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I remember, I remember reading somewhere where somebody said that, no one, no one is actually boring. It's just that some people aren't honest, or they they just hide so much that they haven't got anything interesting to say. And I thought, yeah, there's some truth in that actually. That's great. Yeah, I love that. I think so. That's why, I like the privacy shield. Like, you know what? I'm just gonna write this for me, and I'm gonna go full tilt, full yeah. me. Yeah. And the class that I teach, we I teach everybody the free writing method, and the free writing is where you just use a prompt. Um, could be specific to your project or any random thing you write for 10, 15, 20 minutes without stopping, without censoring, just go. And that method of writing is really useful for any kind of writing, and it's really useful for driving past the inner critic, driving past mm-hmm. the grandstands of people who are standing there waiting to judge you. It's like, whatever, I'm just getting it out on paper, just getting it out and seeing what's there. Um, that can really help with the honesty and the authenticity. It's kind of it really reduces the self-consciousness that mm. that you can go when you sit down like thinking someone's going to read this and does this this issue of honesty and authenticity does it have a bearing on the kind of technical aspects of our work and so by that i mean do we need to make sure the plot structure is honest and the characters are true to themselves and and there isn't a thing that happens in this story which is so bent out of shape just i don't know to make the plot work that it just it's not going to feel it's not going to feel right i mean how do, how does that authenticity work with the the nuts and bolts of what we're writing mm. yeah i think people readers can really tell when something's just off or hasn't quote unquote gone there and i think you know you, you asked about nuts and bolts so i'm thinking about like if i'm writing like oh dare i say that i personally when i'm writing give myself full permission the first pass to say whatever and to go fully on. Usually when I, I notice, like, when I'm reaching for the delete key, that's the good stuff. Oh, no, I better not say that. And it's like, no, keep it. That's the good okay. stuff. So, you know, if you find yourself, oh, no, better not say that. I, I You know, talk about boring. I think that's going to just get boring for the writer. Mm-hmm. If you're just mm-hmm. constantly, like, putting a lid on your truth, um, that you're just going to get bored. You're not going to want to write. I years ago I had the fortune of studying with Grace Paley, who was one wow. of um, okay, yeah, 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 America's great short story writers, and she said um, you have to write the truth. Yeah, and, and explained. She said you don't have to write the truth, be like the facts, but you have to write the emotional truth. And I'll never forget that. So it's like whether you're writing fiction, there your own emotional truth or an emotional truth is in there. It's not um, you can't just fake it. So we borrow our own emotions, our own experiences to put in whatever we're writing. But that is, I mean, that is scary, isn't it? I th- I think 
try actually writing down what you really what you really think about something or how you think people really could behave or should behave or whatever or what they should say i find that a quite that's that's quite a challenge that's quite a challenge isn't it it is and um so I'm working on a series of personal essays that it's um, a podcast that I've launched and it's a series of personal essays about the things that I've made and written and mm. it's called stumbling toward genius. So the focus is on all of the, like how I failed and fumbled and stumbled and how I you know, overcame that or dealt with that. This is a huge challenge for me. This is not the thing I want to write in general. I want to write like, here's how great I look and here's how I pulled it <laughs> off. And here's how it isn't, you know, like, here I am at the finish line, smiling, you know, not like, oh, oh. <laughs> here's yeah. how I dragged myself. Yeah. So there's one story that I'm writing now and I notice um, it's like, and then I was there. I'm like, no, you have to slow it down. You have yeah. to give some yeah. details to give some specific so in terms of how do you actually do it slow it down give some details what what was i feeling what you know what mm. is the emotion there what were the hopes and the fears going on in me at that time and in terms of just nitty-gritty how to cope with the fears i just do a little bit at a time and i've been doing this thing lately that i'm really enjoying call that i call sneaking up on myself <laughs> And so it's so fun, Andy. It's really working too. It's great. So I have my different tabs open with my documents of the different essays I'm working on. And I'll just kind of be going about my day. I'm like, oh, I have 10 minutes and I'll see this. I'll just open one of the documents. And where was I? Oh, let's just add a little bit. Um, Next thing you know, I've written the scary part or the um, part that I felt really scared about before. Now I warmed up. So giving some space to things like, let's just pause for the day. I'll go back later. Yeah. But that's like popping in without thinking about it, like zero thought. Like, oh, I don't have time for this. I don't really can't do it. I don't have the focus. I've done that so much in the last two months, just zooming right past all of those opinions about what it was going to be like and just getting in there and doing it. So it sounds like you're not even giving the fears and doubts a chance to kind of rouse themselves before you're into it and and you know it's kind of like before before all those fears and doubts emerge you just got on with some stuff yeah and that's um a couple of my clients really a lot of people like working in the morning yeah before yeah. the inner critic is active and yeah. you get a lot done before yeah. <laughs> that part has had a chance to come <laughs> online now one of the things i i, I noticed in stuff of yours that I've, I've read is that you consider identifying our reader to be really important so why why is it how does that work and why is why is it important i don't know that it's as important for fiction as it is okay. for non-fiction um just to make that distinction fiction like so my book was a historical novel set in paris about a real person sylvia mm. beach um who was a bookseller and so I can say that anybody who loves books about books or bookstores will like this book. Anybody who loves books about Paris, people who like historical fiction in Paris might enjoy this. So, but that that didn't really matter when I was writing it. So it's mostly nonfiction. If you're writing um, for the problem is we generally have at least three different people in mind when we're like, oh, this could be for this person, this book could be for this person, and this could be Mm, for that person. mm. Which one are you aiming for? You can't aim for them all at once. You're not going to hit any of them. (laughs) 
So you have to, and I've tried this before writing one of my books where I was like, okay, I know this is for this audience. And someone was like, oh, it could be really great for this audience too. And I was like, okay, um, sure, let me try that. So I'm writing and in my mind, it's almost like I'm flipping, moving left to right. I'm talking to you and I've got to turn and talk to you and then turn back and talk to you. Yeah, yeah. That's just dizzying and yeah, annoying and not good, it creates it? not good. It creates a, lo- a lack of focus and a lack of clarity and a lack of confidence. You start to wonder all the time, what am I doing? Or, Do they care about this? You know, that number one question, it's two, two questions we have when we start to write, is it going to be good enough? And will anybody care? So if you're trying to write for an unknown audience or several audiences, you're going to be constantly going like, I don't know if they care. Who does she need to know this? Do they care? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. So and I want to ask you as well, a couple of perhaps more kind of practical questions. So just, just some, a couple of scenarios and see if you can kind of help somebody who's, who's in that. So, We've talked a little bit about how we've all got busy lives. We've got stuff we're doing. Are there one or two tips or life hacks that you can share with us just to help us protect our writing time and just to help us have that time to, to get stuck in and actually get something done with it? Yeah, protecting the writing time. Um, first, here's the tough love. No one is going to do it for you. And <laughs> this is right. No one, like, no one cares like you care. You have to care. And this is the whole back to the what we make makes us. Someone who has not a very good ability to honor themselves, respect themselves, take care of themselves, like someone who has no boundaries, like anybody can do whatever they want. That person is going to have a really hard time saying, I deserve to write. I deserve to have this time. Um, So part of protecting your time is an exercise in self-respect. And Mm. So if you don't have a lot of self-respect, this is a great way to build it. And another um, way to think about it, too, is building trust in yourself. That Every time you show up, when you say you're going to, you continue to build trust, make deposits in your trust bank. And then you don't have to worry about whether you're going to show up or finish it. The inner critic won't have any... It won't have any purchase if it's trying to say like you won't show up like so you never finish anything you're you're just going off on another idea so you have to build a case like by your actions for showing up when you say you're going to and so in terms of more practical than that well okay i'm i'm gonna say this and then there'll be a caveat so people um find that like the extraordinary simple practice of putting it on the calendar um, oh, schedule my time, like actually schedule it. So a lot of people will say it just doesn't happen if it's not scheduled. So yeah, even me, yeah. schedule it. I put it in there. I look ahead, like when can we write this week? And some chunks of time are longer than others. And then and I have to keep that. So putting it in yeah. the calendar doesn't do any good if you just ignore it. Um, so some people, again, work well on a reward or punishment. So every time I don't, show up for a writing session, I have to write a check to um, the president, you know, like that would really motivate me. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, right. Like something like that. Like it's like, oh, like, okay. Or you can even write the checks out and then have them sitting there. And if you don't um, show up for the writing, then you actually send the check. Oh, wow. So, right. I suppose that might work for some people, might it? Yeah. Yeah, it might work. Some people really do like a specific 
reward or punishment. Yeah. Other people, um, okay, so then the other part, your question was, how do I guard my time? So yeah. schedule them, keep the appointments. The other thing um, is something I call the insertion point. So knowing, so say you're at the end of a writing session, you're like, woo, I'm done. I got to go get the kids. All right, where am I starting tomorrow? Where am I picking up next time? And you either make a note or <coughs> you can even um, type in, you know, a special word in the document somewhere that, you know, like, so you might be a couple days before you get back to it. So mm. when you get back mm. to it, you know, like, okay, 10 minutes, like I only have a few minutes to write. I know where I'm going working on that one scene. Yeah. The, yeah. Knowing what you're going to write will really help to bypass a lot of the indecision and fear and confusion that shows up when you show up for a writing session, you're like, I don't know what to write. There's just a lot of space for all of that indecision yeah. and confusion. Yeah. But if you're like, I'm working on, and that's why, you know, the list, the to-do lists really help. I, I do that all the time, like every day, like, okay, what am I doing today? Okay. What I have an hour between this call and that call. What am I doing? <laughs> um, so that okay. like, knowing what I'm going to write, the insertion point is really helpful. Now, uh, another thing I was going to ask you, this might be related to what we were just talking about. So if I'm in a situation where, yeah, I've done some work, but my manuscript is just getting a bit wordy or getting out of control and I've lost, I don't feel like I've got a grip on it. What can I, what can I do in those situations? When I'm in that place, I, I print it up um, and print it on paper Okay. And step away from the screen because yeah. I, maybe, you know, I'm not a digital native, but maybe other people are like this where it's just easier to see um, paper and to see what needs to be changed. Um, somehow it also gives a little bit of distance because you might be making notes or some edits or some comments, but you don't get stuck on what happens. I think when people are working on a document on um, online or on the computer is they get caught into wordsmithing and they're stuck wordsmithing a paragraph or a chapter ad infinitum. And then they don't really get a hold of the whole of mm. the book. Mm. So printing it is satisfying in itself. Like, wow, look pages. I did that. <laughs> <laughs> Makes it a real thing, doesn't it? I suppose. It yeah. Does. yeah. Literally yeah. it's an object. So then you just have some distance, um, to be able to read through the whole thing, notice where you get bored, notice where it feels awkward, notice what's missing. And then I, I have what I call a punch list. So as you're reading through it, you make a list of things to work on, like chapters. I need to better transition between those chapters. Mm. There's a whole chunk <clears throat> missing. Then you have that to-do list, that document that you can work yeah. from. That Yeah, I, I use that sometimes. And then when I when I've done the thing, so I've got a list of stuff. When I've done it, I don't delete it. I just make it a different color. So I'm yep. kind of encouraged by seeing more and more stuff like in the different color on the on, on my list because I've managed to kind of get through these things. Okay, so I think we we should be coming sort of drawing to a close in a moment. But I wondered if, um, as we do that, you could tell us a little bit more about some of your work. Some of, you've talked about your books already, but you know, tell us a little bit about your books. Um, particularly one on writing a world-changing book. And maybe also, you know, if people are interested in working with you in some way or other, what, what do you offer and how do people contact you? Yeah, well, everything about what I do for work is at my website, originalimpulse.com. 
And the most recent book is called The Busy Woman's Guide to Writing a World-Changing Book. And that goes to the whole idea of knowing your reader. So mm. most of my clients, probably 80% of my clients are women, and they're busy um, running running their family household, raising yeah. children, yeah. working. So I know them very well, and um, that's why I wrote the book for them. And so it's I do believe that while we all share a lot of the same issues – Women do have some specific issues that are different than than men around making time to write and all of that. So I wrote it specifically for them, and I wrote it for busy people because it's kind of like I, I'm trying to solve that problem for them too. Mm. Here, here's mm. how you can write a book even when you are very full, and doing it. These are the ways you can do it in short bursts or in, in fit it into your lifestyle. So that's. That book came out um, early in spring 2019. I really love that, and I'm pleased with that. I'm working on a podcast now, Stumbling Toward Genius, where um, I originally wanted to talk about the things that we all need to to thrive creatively and speak in abstract or conceptual terms, but that's where it's safe, and so I realized that I needed to tell stories and to tell the stories <laughs> things I'm making. So yeah, that's the, that's really cool for me because it's a total creative edge to do that. And I've been working on that all summer and fall of just how do I write these stories in a way that's entertaining and useful. And, um, so that's called stumbling toward genius mm. and that's wherever podcasts are heard. And, um, I do a year long program where I work with a group of people who are working on a project. So everybody has their own project mm, and mm. it could be a book. It could be writing. I also work with artists. So this is the atelier. It's my year long um, group. And that's really fun. Um, we start that in January. What I love about that is it's kind of everything I've said today about how we build self-awareness, how we learn what works for us. That's the, the point of that program is that in the course of a year working on one project, you're going to learn a lot about yourself. You're going to get things done on the project, but you're also going to know what works, what throws you for a loop. How do you manage it in the course of a day or a month or a quarter? Yeah. Um, I love that. I love that program. I also do a project in that alongside them. So the, what's good about that is I'm going through all of the issues in real time. I'm not just sitting back saying, oh, yeah, I remember when I did that in 2005. I <laughs> felt fear, too. It's like, no, like right now I don't want to do this. And so um, and here's how I'm doing it. And so it's, just, it's the same thing I said earlier. Like I have all the same issues, but I just don't get stopped. Mm. So I'm trying to demonstrate that in real time with my with that group and with my clients. So those are some of the things that are available. I also work one-on-one -on -one with people as a coach. Okay. There was one other question which just came to mind with the things you were just saying just now. Um, so you were mentioning that a lot of your clients are women and I presume they will, some of them have, they'll have jobs, they'll have kids, they're all busy. But if, let's say, if you have a partner who is, involved in some creative project could be right could be something else um and you want to support them and help them in that so so you may have your own stuff but if, you, if it's your partner that's doing those things how do you help your significant other to achieve their 
projects and achieve the stuff that they're working on? Oh, I love that question. It's really sweet. I've been thinking, <laughs> you know, it is because um, the thing that happens like when somebody is you're in a relationship, whether it's a friendship or, you know, marriage or whatever, mm. one person changes the power dynamic shifts and, and people often don't like that. And that is one of the reasons I think people feel threatened sometimes when someone who's close to them starts to change or commit themselves to something they're passionate about. Mm. The power dynamic can change and, and people are like, wait, if you're doing that, what, what about me? What, that's going to take away my time. So I always want to make sure that we're setting up our projects um, so that they're not in competition with our loved ones. And mm. so mm. because that's, that's, that no takes some do. careful thinking, doesn't it, really? What you just That's quite significant, I think, what you just said then, because that well, really does need a bit know, of thought, doesn't it? Especially if you're busy. Right. right. It means a conversation. So yeah. it means like – Hey, and this is in my book, like rallying your allies, letting people know like, Hey, I'm working on this. I'm not going to be available for lunches anymore because that's going to be my writing time. And let's find a time where we can get together instead. Um, or so your question was, how do you, um, support somebody who's got a project? And I would be to have a conversation asking them what they need Somebody who's working on a project is usually really excited about it and very passionate about mm, it and mm. up. And so acknowledging that, like, wow, I, I see how passionate you are. I can see how excited you are about this. Mm. This is great. I haven't seen you this excited in a long time. I can tell this means a lot. Um, so even acknowledging that is big. Um, and then asking a question, like, how can I help? What do you need from me? <laughs> I know I know what my answer would be to that what question. Was, what, because well i i i I sometimes joke with people in my family that like if you want to buy me something at like at Christmas or birthdays and stuff that actually I, there's not I don't really need a lot more a lot more stuff I don't need more things particularly what I need is space peace and time and that's those for me are the kind of premium that the, they're the things of value so yeah so I'll be saying I would be saying in that conversation to that person help me to just have go, the space. Just- just go away. I'd probably think of a better way <laughs> just, to put it than that. Yeah. Yeah. See you later. Yeah. Well, I'm, I, I might, I might say, I mean, yeah, but that's it. But this is the truth. Is it? I think it's, it's actually, you know, give me, allow me to have the space and the peace to do yep. this stuff. Um, yep. I might also, if I was, you know, if I was trying to be very reasonable about it, say kind of imply that this is, this is a two way deal. So you can kind of, you know, put, put what you're what you want on the table as well at the same time right right so what a great conversation that would be so if i were on the other end of that i'd be like that's great andy what does that look like for you to have more space peace and time and then you'd have to be specific and you'd be like you know what i just really love that sunday morning before church when there's like nothing's happening and if i could just have that time before i get to hang out with all the family that would be great yeah, so or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah, whatever it is. So, um, and and the and flip then, side is, and I, as I, I mean, I seriously would be also saying, so what's you know, what about you, whoever you know, yeah. friend, partner, whatever? Yeah. What do you need? Yep. And how can we support each other? Yeah. And maybe we're yeah. ability buddies, or, um, but the other thing too is is to bring them in on it in a way that like, they don't need to know it's not their job to check in on you or ask you about it or necessarily get in there with you. So don't 
respect that. That's why we have our writing buddies or our groups or, you know, and that is one of the things that is hard for a lot of people is like, they're like, nobody knows me as a writer. It's just like this one thing. And um, so it's so true. It's so true, Cynthia, though, isn't it? (laughs) Nobody knows us. And writing is very weird and people it are is. very suspicious of writers for some reason. Like, <laughs> it's very strange. So, but this is the one thing I want to say about that whole piece that, um, what I, I, I do this work because I think that people going around with their unfulfilled creative dreams is just a lot of pain Yeah, and the people yeah. are actually braving the work required to do it they feel better. They feel more whole. They feel more authentic. They feel alive and excited. And so that's going to have an impact. Some excited Andy who's like, oh, I'm so into my novel. This is so much fun. You're going to have that glimmer in your eyes and your kids, your family are going to be like, wow, look at you. And you're going to be, you're going to be a better person. Mm, mm. So hopefully the people that you're making these agreements with see that like, wow, even though you're not spending as much time with me, the time we do have, like you just seem happier. So yeah. that's hopefully yeah. what we all want. A happy state to be in. Yeah, that's good. Okay. Uh, is there anything else you wanted to say? Any last thoughts before we finish? I just like any, like the last tip or thought is like, if you, again, if you have the impulse to write, just follow it, be curious, mm. be mm. innocent, be like a child and just do it without having to prove that you're good. Mm. And I, and then as you continue on the path, just keep um, refining your motivation. Like, why am I doing this? Well, I'm doing, you know what? This is just fun. This is just fun for me. I don't care if anybody ever likes it. Or, you know what? I'm really motivated because I want to make a difference. I want to write about this topic and I want people to read it. So really keeping an eye on your motivation mm. um, and the inner fire, I think, can really help. Cool. I do like that, what you just said then. Do it without having to prove that you're good. Oh, it's so big, isn't it? Like, this whole thing, like, when we become adults, we're supposed to be good at everything. And it's like, why? Like, I'm allowed to be bad. I'm going to survive. My writing isn't just okay. It's fine. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, Cynthia, thank you very much for your time. That's been a great conversation. Uh, Lots of things to reflect on from that, I think. This was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you. Thanks, Andy. Enjoy your evening. And you. Thank you. Well, enjoy your afternoon. Bye. Okay. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Creative Writers Toolbelt podcast. If you want to find out more about the podcast or me, just go to my website. It's andrewjchamberlain.com.